Muslims Want to Know, the show where I try to answer the questions you have about the Bible and Christianity. I'm your host, Reverend Eric Mason. We will get to our question for today in just a moment, but first, some business. I'm excited today to announce that two weeks ago we had our 1,000th listener. With that many listeners tuning in to hear the podcast, it's a good reminder to ask everyone listening to review this podcast. The more reviews the podcast receives, the more it comes up as a recommendation for other people. The more it comes up as a recommendation, the more other folks get a chance to hear answers to their thoughtful questions. And speaking of questions, if you have specific questions about what you hear on the show or want me to elaborate a bit more on a topic, you can submit questions to our official Twitter handle at Rev Eric Mason or by visiting our page at www.anchor.fm forward slash Muslims want to know. As always, each podcast builds on the information from the previous ones. So if you're joining us for the first time, I recommend going back and listening to the previous episodes before resuming this one. Here is our recap. Last time, you and I looked at the answers to the question, Does the Bible predict Muhammad? And in that two-part series, we looked at several biblical passages that have been used as proof that the Bible contains prophecies about Muhammad. When looking at these passages in context of the Bible, as well as the traditional teachings of the Christian Church, we learned that the prophecies point, in fact, to Lord Jesus. With regard to Lord Jesus being the greater prophet Moses spoke of, we learned that Lord Jesus paralleled, magnified, and glorified the prophetic ministry of Moses. Lord Jesus is most definitely the fulfillment of the greater prophet who would come after Moses. Lord Jesus also uniquely fulfills the role of the servant spoken of by Isaiah and the son of man spoken by Daniel. The counselor spoken in John 16 is a reference actually to the Holy Spirit of God, not a reference to one of Muhammad's names. Thank you so much for your attentive minds, ears, and hearts. So far, you and I have looked at a lot of what I like to call the big questions of Islam as we have journeyed together. Now we're turning the corner to some new territory. The questions I will be now answering will help you gain a deeper understanding of Lord Jesus's authority and power. Starting today and continuing for the next two weeks, we will be looking at Lord Jesus's power and authority over evil spirits, nature, and sickness. I also want you to be aware that on December 24th, which is Christmas Eve, I will be putting out a special episode titled, What is Christmas? So stay tuned and stay with me as we close out this year learning about the power and authority of Jesus and as we celebrate the great miracle of Lord Jesus' birth. Now today, we are looking at answers to the question, Does Jesus have power over evil spirits? Our question for this episode is not a question which finds its origin in the Quran or in the Hadiths. Actually, this question comes from our interactions with Muslim families in our community of Little India, which is a neighborhood in Chicago. In my discussions with people who live in our community, I've noticed a recurring theme. There is a real fear of evil spirits. 
Now I know how that sounds. After all, many people fear evil spirits. But can I tell you something? Some of the people in our community have been truly beset on by the demonic realm. Their lives have been turned upside down by evil powers seemingly beyond anyone's control. These are friends and families who are close to us and dear to our hearts. When we Christians see that someone's being harassed by evil spirits, we're moved to help. Usually that help comes from sharing with our friends how Lord Jesus has power and authority over evil spirits. Usually when they hear this, folks usually respond by asking, does he really have this kind of power and authority? And the answer is, yes, he does. Knowing that there is a solution gives our friends hope. Hope that a power exists which can protect them from these demonic attacks. And hope that through Lord Jesus' authority and by his power, they can be protected forever. And that's good news. So, how does Lord Jesus have power over evil spirits, and what does that mean for all of us? First off, you and I need to define what an evil spirit is. This will help us as we move through today's episode. The traditional teaching of the Christian church is that evil spirits are in fact demons. Fun fact, demons were once angels. Angels are spiritual beings created by God. Like us, angels were given free will and an ability to contemplate and worship God. They worship God as a free act of love. At some point before the creation of Earth, Satan, one of the most powerful angels, freely chose to worship himself instead of God. Satan then attempted to lead a rebellion against God. As a result of their rebellion, these angels were cast out of heaven. These fallen angels then became demons. A demon's goal and purpose is to lead as many humans as possible away from the true path of God. They do this by tempting us into sin, by shaming us with our sins, by twisting God's words, sowing doubt into our faith, and, if allowed, they can harm us, our family, and property. In order to understand Lord Jesus' power and authority over evil spirits, we have to remind ourselves that Lord Jesus is both fully God and fully man. He is the Son of God, the second person of the triune God. This means that Lord Jesus carries both power and authority of God. Such power and authority is on full display in one of our stories from the Bible. And before we read this biblical passage, let me say a brief prayer. God, open the eyes of our hearts that we may hear your words and understand and do your will, for we are sojourners upon the earth. Do not hide your commandments from us, but open our eyes that we may perceive the wonders of your law. Speak to us the hidden and secret things of your wisdom. Enlighten our minds and understanding with the light of your knowledge, not just to cherish those things written, but to seek after you by doing them. Amen. And now for the story. Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 17. They came to the other side of the sea, to the region of the Gerasenes. As soon as he got off the boat, a man with an unclean spirit came out of the tombs and met him. 
He lived in the tombs, and no one was able to restrain him anymore, not even with a chain. Because he often had been bound with shackles and chains, but had torn the chains apart and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and knelt before him, and he cried out with a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you before God, don't torment me. For he had told him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. What is your name? he asked him. My name is Legion, he answered him, because we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the region. A large herd of pigs was there, feeding on the hillside. And the demons begged him, Send us into the pigs so that we may enter them. And so he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. The herd of about two thousand rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned there. The men who tended them ran off and reported it in the town and the countryside, and people went to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the man who had been demon-possessed sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs. Then they began to beg him to leave their region. This is one of my favorite stories about Lord Jesus. And with good cause, there are a lot of interesting details about this story. First, Mark records for us that the area this event happened in was the region of Gerasenes. This area was an area comprised of Gentiles, or non-Jewish people. Now, when first century Jewish people interacted with Gentiles, it made them unclean. They had to do several rituals in order to make themselves clean again. In addition to that, the region of the Gerasenes was also an area where pigs were herded. Now, pigs were also considered unclean to Jewish people. There were also tombs in this area as well, which were also considered unclean to Jewish people. So why would Lord Jesus lead his disciples to unclean Gentile territory near unclean pigs and unclean tombs? The answer, my friend, is because Lord Jesus is demonstrating God's overwhelming, unstoppable love for those who are forgotten, dismissed, and seemingly God-forsaken. Remember, God is love. And therefore, he can do nothing else than will the good of the other. Lord Jesus' actions teach us that he is willing to go to the vile depths of God-forsakenness just to save one person. One life, even a demon-possessed life, is worth saving to God the merciful. This reminds me of another story Lord Jesus shared with his disciples. In Matthew chapter 18, verses 12 through 14, Lord Jesus says, What do you think? If someone has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, won't he leave the ninety-nine on the hillside and go and search for the stray? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he rejoices over that sheep more than over the ninety-nine that did not go astray. In the same way, it is not the will of your Father in heaven 
that one of these little ones perish. Now we can assume, based on the fact that this man had been chained up, that the town had tried everything in their power to rid this man of his demons, but eventually left him to die in the wilderness. Whatever this man did to open himself to the demonic realm, we, we can't really know. We can't guess. But what we do know is that his actions allowed for a legion of demons to enter his mind and his body. Now, a legion was a term associated with the Roman army. A Roman legion was the largest unit of soldiers. It consisted of several thousand infantry and several hundred cavalry. So when the possessed man announces his name is Legion, it is implied that there are thousands of demons inside this man. So, how does a man possessed by thousands of demons respond to Lord Jesus? Now in our days of Marvel movies, we might think that there's going to be an epic showdown between the villain and the hero. But as we find out, there is no contest. Mark chapter 5, verse 6, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and knelt down before him, and he cried out with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? The demon-possessed man sees Lord Jesus, who is God incarnate, and kneels before him in an act of submission. It is a nonverbal sign of the kind of power and authority Lord Jesus has over the demons. And next, the demons verbally acknowledge Lord Jesus' rank, power, and authority over them when they say, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? These demons know they will no longer be allowed to possess this man and will most certainly lose their power and authority over the area. In a last-ditch effort, they try to appeal to Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, seeing the herd of unclean pigs, gave permission to the demons to enter the pigs. But because of the self-destructive behavior of the demonic realm, the pigs were stirred up into a frenzy and ran straight into the watery abyss. And just like that, thousands of demons left the man never to return again. And the pig herders immediately ran to town and told everyone what had happened. Naturally, the entire town came out to investigate. And what did the townspeople find when they came out to investigate? They found the man who had been possessed by thousands of demons, dressed and in his right mind. He was dressed. This means he was no longer naked. He was no longer wild. No longer was his depraved shame laid bare for all to see. He was now in his right mind. This means he was no longer under the control of the demons. His mind and his body were now fully under his control. He's now a man ready to rejoin a world that had left him to die in the God-forsaken wilderness. When the people from town came to investigate, they surveyed the scene and they became afraid. But what was there to be afraid of? The town didn't need to worry about the dangerous, possessed man anymore. What could possibly be the cause of this new fear? To the local people, the person who was possessed by a legion of demons 
was not as terrifying as a person who exhibits power and authority over such supernatural beings. Remember how the demons begged Lord Jesus not to send them out of the region? Well, in a strange twist, the people now beg Lord Jesus to leave their region. <laughs> and what does Jesus do? Well, he leaves the area, not because the people had some kind of authority over him, but because his work there was finished. The life he had come to save had been saved, cleansed of evil spirits, redeemed and restored. All of this for one life. And why is that? Because God is love. And therefore, God can do nothing but will the good of the other. Lord Jesus demonstrates God's love for humanity by going to the depths of God-forsakenness and uncleanness for the salvation of just one human being. And there's an old saying about Lord Jesus. Once you encounter him, you can't go back the same way. The demon-possessed man's life was now changed forever after his encounter with Lord Jesus. Mark chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged him earnestly that he might remain with him. Jesus did not let him, but told him, Go home to your own people and report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So he went out and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and they were all amazed. The demons beg to remain in the area. The town begs Lord Jesus to leave. But after encountering the love of God through Lord Jesus, the formerly possessed man wants nothing but to remain with Lord Jesus. And Lord Jesus instructs the formerly possessed man to go home, report to your own people how much the Lord has done for you and how much mercy the Lord has showed you. So, this man went back home and shared his story with others. Those who knew him and had seen his degradation into possession would have been overjoyed to know of God's mercy and his love for people who seem God-forsaken. Now maybe you're thinking, well, it's great he loves us that much, but what does Lord Jesus' power and authority over evil spirits have to do with us today? I'm so glad you asked. First, we'll start with some practical knowledge about how the devil works in our lives. For the most part, demons work by tempting us into sin, by shaming us with our own sins, by twisting God's words, and also by sowing doubt into our faith. However, occasionally demons can harm us, our family, and our property. Usually they do this by our own invitation or by the invitation of someone within our household. And that invitation usually comes from some person partaking in occultic practices. That kind of destructive demonic activity works in stages. Stage one, infestation. This is a stage marked by demonic activity in a particular location. Think of uh, a haunted house. Stage two, oppression. The demonic realm now attacks a person through their physical health, through finances and at work or through the family. Stage three, obsession. 
The person affected by the demonic realm experiences thoughts of suicide and may experience hallucinations. Finally, stage four, possession. The demon controls the mind and body of the victim. I'm going to give you some practical advice that might seem a little heavy, but I believe it will help you if you believe you or someone you know is actually under attack by evil spirits. First thing you should do is pray. If you are experiencing any of the issues I just listed above, you should pray in the power and authority of Lord Jesus' name for the demons to leave you alone. The name of Lord Jesus carries power and authority in the demonic realm. Remember, even the legion of demons knelt in submission before Lord Jesus. The next thing you should do is seek medical advice and counseling to verify if your experiences have a physical cause to them. At the same time, I recommend also consulting a Christian friend or local priest or pastor. The final step is very important if you want lasting change in your life. Invoking Lord Jesus' power and authority without placing your full faith in him is like locking all your doors but leaving a window open for the demonic realm to re-enter. Lord Jesus himself confirms this when he says in Luke chapter 11 verses 24 through 26, When an unclean spirit comes out of a person, it roams through waterless places looking for rest. And not finding rest, it then says, I'll go back to my house that I came from. Returning, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and settle down there. As a result, that person's last condition is worse than the first. Full, lasting protection comes when we put our faith in Lord Jesus and do not return to any of our old ways. When we place our faith in Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God regenerates us. One of the things this allows us to do is invoke the name of Lord Jesus with authority and power given to us through the Holy Spirit of God. Now, this doesn't mean demons won't try to tempt, shame, twist God's word, sow doubts, or even try to harm us. What it does mean is that we now have an ability to recognize a spiritual attack as it's happening and respond by praying for protection from Lord Jesus. This is our armor, so to speak, which protects us from demonic attacks. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you may stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God, so that you may be able to resist in the evil day, and having prepared everything to take your stand. When the attack begins, we can pray in the power and authority of Lord Jesus Christ that the demons leave us and our family alone. And because Lord Jesus has power, and because his Holy Spirit resides in us, the demons must listen to his authority. I can tell you this, from first-hand experience. Well, that was a heavy episode. <laughs> Once again, I want to thank you so much for joining me. I hope and pray that you continue to seek God, asking for visions and clarity on all of these Christian claims that I make. And if you want some resources for further study, 
I encourage you to take a look at the sources I used for this podcast. The Bible translation I use is the Christian Standard Bible. I also studied material from the Manual of Spiritual Warfare by Paul Thigpen and various articles on ChristianityToday.com, GospelCoalition.org, and Wikipedia.com. And that sound means it's about time to wrap up. If you like this podcast, feel free to leave a review on your favorite podcasting site. And as always, if you have a specific question about what you heard on the show, or want me to elaborate a bit more on a point I made, you can submit questions to our official Twitter handle, at Rev Eric Mason, or by visiting our page at www.anchor.fm forward slash Muslims want to know. I will do my best to answer those questions in future podcasts. I also encourage you to reach out to a Christian friend or coworker and ask them about things you hear on this podcast. If you hear something about Islam you don't know before, research it. Or ask your Muslim friends or imam about it. As always, I thank you so much for listening, and God bless.